Welcome back, listeners, to a new episode of Matt Goes to the Movies. You clicked the title. Today, we are talking about the follow-up to 28 Days Later, 28 Weeks Later. And once again, it wouldn't seem right if Rob was not here to discuss this movie with me. Rob, welcome back, man. Thank you. Um, it's it's exciting to uh, to talk about this because uh, first of all, you and I both professed our love for the first original Twenty Eight Days Later, so that was it was a total blast to get an excuse to go back and rewatch it. Um, and I had not actually seen this movie in a very long time. In fact, neither of us had. And I'm not even positive I'd watched it more than my initial viewing years ago. I'm not positive I've actually seen it a second time. So um, I didn't remember it well, both in terms of how much of it I remembered and how much I remember liking it was was not good. So I was very excited to have an excuse uh, for uh, the month of October here at Matt Goes to the Movies to sit down and check it back out and see if it's aged better than I remembered. Yeah, you know, same thing here. Like you said, I sat down to watch this and I said to myself, I don't remember anything about this except for the opening scene. Like, I really didn't remember the overall plot to this movie, so to speak. Uh, I certainly had no clue who was in this movie. Um, There's some pretty well-known actors and actresses in here who I completely forgot about. And... I was really surprised by how much I didn't remember this movie. And like you, I, I thought to myself and I can't remember, but did I only see this movie like one time, like fully? And I'm really glad that I sat down and watched this because it's not what I thought, but it still absolutely was definitely worth a watch for me to gather my thoughts on it, especially after the absolute pleasure that 28 Days Later was. Yeah, and as I remember how much I liked 28 Days Later, but you kind of forget how good it really is if you haven't seen it in a while. And then, you know, you think about that film, and it's a small cast. It focuses on no more than really like four characters at a time, and it was mostly unknown actors. You know, you mentioned how many people are in this movie. You know, you have Robert Carlyle, who a lot of people, you'll see him and you go, where do I recognize him from? Uh, I think a lot of people would recognize him from uh, ABC's Once Upon a Time. He was uh, multiple characters on that show. Uh, Rose Byrne is in this. Uh, You would recognize her as uh, uh, Moira McTaggart from the X series. Uh, Jeremy Renner is in this, which I completely forgot that he was in this movie. Uh, you'd probably remember him from, you know, things like uh, Born, uh, the Born series. And I think he was in a movie called Tag. And I think Disney Plus has something working with him. I, I don't know, Matt, can you think of anything else we've seen Jeremy Renner in? Yeah, um, you know, he's he's relatively new to the scene. Yeah, definitely <laughs> hasn't appeared in any movies that we've talked about on this network. Uh, Idris Elba's in this, too. Like, it's, it's really wild to think about... Um, how many name actors are in this movie? And I completely forgot all of them. Yeah, hundred percent. And name actors that aren't just like in it for a minute, like they are the main cast for this movie, um, which was really surprising that we forgot like who actually is in this, in this movie. But uh, you know, one thing that I will say, and I, I think really getting into the teaser trailer of Matt goes to the movies where we talk about this movie spoiler free and just give a quick recap of what we thought. 
this is something for me, I, I will go first. One, you could hear it in the background. The theme to this movie is great. I absolutely love it. I think it's fantastic. And there are some really core elements of this movie that work extremely well at its most basic. This is a very good movie, but it's unfortunate because this movie does not stay basic at all. And it really hinders every single thing that comes before it. You will be one moment in a very good scene with what feels like good, genuine emotion and some real like terror and fear for what's going on. And then it is completely undercut whether it be by shaky cam or just really towards the end, some really odd logical gaps in terms of where people end up compared to our main characters. But that will be a spoiler. So I'm going to keep it just um, to that little tidbit there. So, Rob, what's your recap of this movie before we start to spoil it? You know, it, it really, um, some things that I had kind of written down for, for teaser trailer, you know, really it's, it's just when humanity thought they had beaten this terrible infection, it rages back and claims many more lives. You know, there's health screenings that are implemented to allow people access to their basic lives. The infection can be carried and spread without showing any symptoms. Lockdown procedures are poorly implemented. Also, people are terrible to each other. Oh, crap. There we go. I'm sorry, listeners. I was reading from the news again. Uh, uh, that That's not a general synopsis of the movie. Um, you know, it's the things that we loved about the first one. It was such a low budget movie. Uh, they didn't really have a lot to work with. So they focused on telling a great story without the distraction that you get with a budget. This movie would have been twice as good with half the budget. Um, and I, and I think, you know, Matt, you kind of hinted at it and certainly it's going to, it's going to be more effective, uh, to talk about that in the spoiler territory, but you know, the music is back that you and I both loved the use of it in the last movie, the way that theme just builds, it starts slow. It starts quiet with the piano. And then as the chaos starts to build the energy and the frantic nature of that, of that theme just continues to build. And it's some of my favorite use of music in any movie that I can think of in terms of the score, not necessarily like licensed songs, but the score created, um, you know, it starts with that quiet piano and then it builds and builds and you have the guitar. It's, um, it's so, so good. This movie does a lot of things really, really well. And when it focuses on the things that made the first movie good, it works when it starts to deviate from that and it starts to use its budget. It starts to spend some money kind of where things stop working. There are absolutely some logical fallacies. There's things that make no sense at all. There are there <laughs> characters make decisions that just absolutely don't make any sense at all. And frankly, there's you kind of juxtapose a really cool, interesting moment or a really creative scene, well-written scene, well-staged scene. And then immediately after that, you're followed up with something that is is fourth wall-breakingly terrible. Um, so it's really a shame that we can't just enjoy the parts of this that work um, as, as well as they do. Yeah, I, I think that sums it up really well without getting into spoilers. So with that being said, for any reason, if listeners, you have not seen this movie 
or it's been a really long time and you want to watch it again based on seeing, you know, this, ep- well, hearing this episode or seeing the title of this episode on Matt Goes to the Movies, you know, this is where we're going to jump into spoilers. So pause it if you need to. Uh, you can go watch this movie on HBO Max if you are subscribed to that streaming service. So it's very, very easy to find if you're looking to watch 28 weeks later. But Rob, with that being said, we're going to start going from seat to screen here, talking about what works, what doesn't work. And I'll, I'll kick it off with what works. At its basis, this is a story that should actually really work in terms of a family that is separated, a husband who feels guilt about abandoning his wife and reconnecting with his kids. But it's completely undercut because that's not the main focus of this movie. There's the, oh, well, the mother has a rare, you know, chromosome or however they actually say it, that she could be, you know, potentially a cure for the virus or her children. And I feel like if that would have been completely left out and it just focused on the dad's grief of leaving the mother and having that, you know, in his mind with his kids, this would have been a much better movie if it just shrunk itself down to the basic core. Um, That part in the beginning really works until it takes a turn where, you know, he turns literally, um, which he ends up in some really odd spots just for, I think, dramatic effect, which really fall flat. Yeah, um, a lot there to agree with. When you think about the opening, you know, think about what we loved about the first one, just the terrifying ferocity of the fast rage zombies. We hadn't really seen that before, at least not in this way. And it was different. And that was truly terrifying. You know, we, we, it, it definitely was a believable um, a villain, a believable enemy uh, for our protagonist to have to deal with. And the opening of this really sets that up well. Um, I really kind of I want to talk about the opening just for a little bit, too. I love sort of the scientific approach to this where zombies don't live forever and that this sort of feels like the way it would go down in the aftermath. Um, I I love the scene where Don does start to kind of share that story with his kids about about their mother. It is absolutely heartbreaking. And it flashes back to her looking at him through the window. And that death stare she gives him, holy cow. I mean, who the stare that she gives him, like, I cannot believe your cowardice to run mm-hmm. out on me and this child that we are trying to save. Look it up on YouTube. If you haven't seen this movie in a while and you're not intending to, um, I, I implore you, go find it on YouTube because it is, it's giving me chills just thinking about it. Like if my wife ever did that to me, I don't care how many zombies I was running away from, I would turn around and come back right away because I would just be so afraid of that. That, I can't think of another scene in any movie I can think of that works that way. I mean, he's, he doesn't fully admit to his cowardice, uh, but he, he kind of touches on it and, and it's, it flashes back and forth between him telling the story and then actually showing us more details of the actual event itself. It's a very impactful scene. Um, there's parts of that that fall apart later, but in terms of just that scene, wow, is it effective? 
Yeah, I, I think the opening, it's a double-edged sword for me because it's very it's very effective um, with, you know, the people that are together, them talking about whether or not the kids are safe, you know, the mom being worried because they had sent them off um, on a vacation and the strangers that they're living with, and the one yelling at the... F- you know, at the one female at the table because her boyfriend's gone. She, he hasn't been back for five days. You know, she better accept it because we all know he's dead. There's a lot great in the opening shot. But one thing that absolutely drives me out of this movie every single time, and it happens every time there's a big set piece with the zombies, which are done so well. I love how they just instantly turn It's fantastic. It's just boom. There's no time. Like that makes you believe like when it's, you know, when you watch things like walking dead or you've seen, you know, the other zombie movies where it takes them a second to turn and they're super slow moving. It's like, how does this thing like ever get out of hand? Seriously? Like somebody gets like the zombies coming at you at 0.2 miles per hour. Um, how does this thing get out of hand? But, you know, in this universe, you get bit, you turn, and you attack. You can see how it would get out of control incredibly quickly. But the problem for me is when it does get out of control, half the time you can't understand what's going on. You know people are getting, like, mutilated and chewed up and everything like that. But it's so much – it's one of the worst uses of shaky cam like I've ever seen. To me, shaky cam does not equal scary. It does not equal tension. It just equals a headache. Yeah, there's there's some zombie attacks in here that the scene itself should be – should probably hit and land a little harder than it does. But it, it seems at times that – some of our main characters are wearing some pretty thick plot armor um, that that get them out of that. There's all this chaos going around and and people are getting ripped apart, like you said, and yet somehow certain characters are just guaranteed to work their way out of that scene. If it's through a ventilation duct or, you know, whatever it ends up being. Um, but it's, it's really compelling the choices they make about how this zombie virus works in that you don't have to just shoot them in the head. You can, it's just, it's a person like it, gets taken out the same mm-hmm. way a person gets taken out and that they do die. They do starve out and eventually stop existing. And that's where I think some of the terror truly comes in. Like you said, it's, it's fast. You could understand how this apocalypse could happen. It, things like the walking dead, as much as I love that, and it's going to be hard not to draw comparisons to the walking dead uh, from this film. Uh, so mild spoilers warning, apparently, I guess I would say um, it, I never truly believed that the outbreak in the walking dead would happen the way that it would like any slow moving zombie, any, any infection like that would be, would be over within like an hour and a half. <laughs> like there's, right. there's no way that thing truly like, everybody just locks their car doors and you know, the army comes through in tanks and just rolls over everything. It's done. Let's go home, everybody. You know, like that's it. Um, this you can understand. Although there are parts later where I don't understand how the outbreak kind of occurs again. We'll get to that later. Um, but in terms of just how the, 
I, I like exactly like you said, Matt, they turn, it happens quick. There's no weird amount of time where some people turn fast and some people turn slow when they need to have more exposition or they need to have this big grandiose death and, and this tearful goodbye scene. So it takes them longer to go, you know, and then they finally do the noble thing and they take themselves out. So nobody has to have the burden of having taken out, you know, whoever that main character is that we all love. It, we don't get that. It's just rage. It's fury. They're flying at you. And it's terrifying. Yeah. Uh, I Again, I feel like with the use of some different camera, this camera work, this could have been a really, really terrifying movie. The thought of how this happens is pretty, you know, is pretty scary. Like, oh, my God. Um, but a lot of that tension is undercut by the camera work for me. But. Uh, you know, I will give the movie its due in terms of the zombies being terrifying. You know, some of the best, you know, portrayal of zombies that I think in a movie, I really like how they're portrayed in this. And I'll, I'll get to another thing that works in this movie, because to me, there's just enough it's so weird with this movie. It's like they take the old proverbial one step forward. And then instead of two steps back, it's like three steps back with like the next scene. So, but I will say another aspect that's really, really well, that works really well in this movie are the brother and sister, uh, Tammy, sorry, Tommy, Tammy and Andy. They're really, really well together. It feels like a brother-sister dynamic, and I really, really enjoyed their performances. Again, another like great like child actor and actress performance that really draws you into their story about we stick together no matter what. And you really see that towards the end where it's we stick together no matter what. I thought they did a fantastic job. Yeah, that scene towards the end where she says, you know, we stick together, she's fully expecting her brother to turn and she doesn't want him to be afraid of that. He runs away from her knowing what is supposed to happen to him. And then when he doesn't turn, um, that's a really powerful scene. I, I think one of the other scenes that works really well with that dynamic is when they're kind of locked behind the glass after they got busted for being outside of the quarantine zone and they're accusing their dad of mm -hmm. lying to them or, or hiding the truth. Um, that worked really well. Imagine if this movie had focused on the two of them with Scarlett and Doyle getting them through the city, just getting them to safety, not because the kid has two different colored eyes and has the immunity because let's just call let's just say that's stupid. All right. I'm just going to get that out there. I know yeah. we haven't gotten to the part where, where it doesn't work yet, but that's just stupid. Um, let's say the focus was just on them and just, you know, Doyle makes the decision. This is wrong. There's kids here. I refuse to murder innocent people. I refuse to murder children. I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to get them to safety. And Scarlett makes that same decision because she's already made that decision anyways. If the movie focused on that instead of, you know, trying to get this miracle cure going or, or whatever, um, it would have been a better movie. Yeah, it, it, it would have been a simpler movie. And that would have worked so much better than what we have. And you talked about the scene where they're behind the glass. It doesn't, when they question their father, especially Tammy, it doesn't feel like a bratty kid. It, it feels like a real, you told, like, why did you tell us she was dead? You understand why she's angry. 
it was really well done because that could, you know, that really can toe the line of, eh, like, you're not believable. You're not, you know, I get it. You're a kid, but you don't have the range to pull that scene off. But man, uh, specifically that actress, she really does. Like, that is super believable when she is, like, yelling at her father, basically like an adult, not as, like, his daughter or his child. Like, she's yelling at him like they're peers. Yeah, she's made the decision that uh, he has betrayed her. He has betrayed her and her brother. And she's not going to be willing to regard him as a father figure until that particular aspect of that relationship has been fleshed out. And I, I'm going to just go ahead and go into the, you know, one of the things that doesn't work just because we're kind of talking about it right now. And I know I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but I really think one of the biggest misses from a storytelling perspective in this movie is when Dawn turns and never has to truly address his, his betrayal of his wife and, and the cowardice that left her to give him that death stare that I said earlier, I just love so much. Right. It is absolutely a, a, how much Matt would you have loved to see a scene where she has like full, like, you know, she has all of her faculties together. Cause I'm never truly, I'm never truly sure once from the moment that, that Andy finds her, I'm never truly sure how sane she is, like how far off the deep end she's gone. Like, you know, that, that hermit that is stranded on a desert Island and goes completely, you know, like sea crazy, you know, like, uh, like how, how sane is she? It seems like at some point she's all the way there. Another point she's not. So I wish the movie kind of like gave us a, a better clarification of that. But when he never has to truly deal and face the consequences of his cowardice, he never has to face his, his children and truly admit what actually happened. His wife never has to choose between forgiving him and understanding the situation. And they're going to move on for their own survival or the, the safety because they both care about their children and want their children to be safe. And both of them will do more for those children than anybody else would. So she has to begrudgingly forgive him for the best interests of their children, or she decides to just loathe him for it. And he slowly has to work himself back into her good graces. What a missed storytelling opportunity to just turn him like that. And then the stupid ways that he's used as, as a rage zombie later, just drive me nuts. But uh, you know, Matt, did that occur to you at all? Yeah, I thought this movie would have been better suited to, you mentioned it earlier, you have these two people that work for the government decide, we're not doing this. We're taking these kids. Half the movie that we see is the kids being brought to an extraction, to an extraction point, to safety. The other half, even if it wasn't all of them together for most of the movie, I feel watching maybe the husband and if they would have capitalized on the father, letting the kids know that he abandoned their mom earlier and then they get separated and watching the kids being taken to the, the extraction point and watching those two, the husband and wife trying to just get back to the kids and maybe having him have a path of reconciliation Fine, you could turn him at the end 
where he has the choice of whether to stay and now to save his family or run away again like a coward. That would have felt earned. That would have felt better. Not this MacGuffin where somehow he winds up everywhere his kids are <laughs> and like yeah. and and by himself. It's it's really odd because you don't know if he somehow has like why would he but the way that he acts as one of these rage zombies is like he still has his facilities about him when none of the other ones really do. They just want to basically mutilate people. So I felt like every time he showed up, it was just like it, it was like somebody picked him up and just placed him in the scene because they wanted him to be there. Yeah, so I hate plot armor. I also hate plot helicopters that just transport uh, uh, certain characters from one side of town to another when it's convenient for them. And that's where, you know, that's supposed to mean something to the viewer when when Tammy has to take out her dad, you know, has to shoot him. That, you know, that's supposed to mean something. When, when Don is attempting to, uh, you know, infect Andy with the rage virus because he's turned and he's infected himself, that, that should mean something. And I'm sitting there watching this going, this is stupid. Yeah. And any impact that the filmmakers were trying to have on me is completely gone because I'm sitting there going, this is so dumb. Why? This makes no sense at all. And it, yeah. how it did he get com- here? It completely pulls the rug out from what they're trying to do. And it's that scene would have worked a hundred times better if it's a random zombie. Doesn't have to be done. Shouldn't have been done. It, it, it's like, it's too convenient. It And it has no impact. It would have had more impact on, on the decisions they had to make if it was nobody, if it was just, it was just a random nobody. Right. Yeah. That's totally accurate. I just feel like there was some, again, there's some really, really great stuff here that is just completely negated by really odd choices um, in this movie. But I will say one of the things that, I, I do like, again, kind of going back and forth between these things. It's very brief, but I love the banter between the sh- the soldiers on the roof that we get in the beginning. I, I thought more of that where we could have got little intercuts of the world still being somewhat normal, but maybe there's the outside presence of mm, dangers closer than you think. Because I thought some of that was actually felt like very, very real and genuine where if like these guys were just stuck on roofs, like making sure that everything was cool from a distance, like that dialogue was pretty funny to me. Parts of that were really funny. And I'm going to agree with what you said in that this this should have been we should have had a moment to expand on this a little bit. Uh, Matt, I'm going to ask you, how many characters in this movie do you actually truly care about what happens to them one way or another? Um, Is it more than three? Well, yes, because the doctor, the soldier, uh, and the two kids. I I didn't care about the mom. I didn't care about the dad. I cared about the two kids, and I cared about – shoot, their names are escaping me for a second. Um, So there's Tammy and Andy. Those are the kids. Yep, Tammy and Andy, uh, Sergeant Doyle, Jeremy Renner, and then yep. Scarlett, uh, by played by Rose Byrne. Like those four, but, I actually, I do, genuinely wanted them to survive. 
yeah, I, I think I only care about Doyle after he shows up in the alley. From that point on, I start to care about him a little bit. But I think this movie suffers a great deal from a lack of likable characters or characters that you actually care about what what happens to them. Do they get their due deal? You know, do they get their justice? Do they get what's due to them? Um, do they do they survive where they should? Or if they do get taken out, does it impact you in a certain way? You know, you think about all those survivors that they end up, you know, getting out of that one uh, garage and, and they're still alive. Like when dude's just hanging off of the helicopter and, and gets ripped apart, like I didn't feel anything about it. And if if they would have allowed us to see more of these guys in a way that made us care about them, then I think we would have liked this opening scene a lot better. I think I think what's really curious to me about this movie is just the simple premise of it to start with. I mean, when you think about zombies in pop culture, be it books, uh, comic books, video games, movies, TV shows, whatever it is, you don't normally see the premise being reconstruction. It's either the outbreak or it happens, you know, the story takes place after the outbreak and it's focusing on the survivors. It's focusing on them trying to hold on to their humanity. It, it focuses on the moral gray areas. You know, The Walking Dead was really good about, um, you know, the the needs of the many versus the needs of the few at different points of it. And, and the moral gray areas of you have to sometimes do bad things for the greater good. You know, it's really plays with that quite a bit. I'm thinking about one, especially called The Grove, which was uh, which will always mess with you if, if you know what episode that is that I'm talking about. But the the effort or the the decision to focus on the rebuilding effort is kind of curious um, because the movie sort of starts off a little slow and it doesn't really grab me right away. Um, I, I just, you know, it, it's, it doesn't necessarily grab me. And I think if I cared a little bit more about some of those first soldiers that we meet, the snipers on the roof, if I knew a little bit more about them and what they were giving up to be there, I think this would have, I think this movie would have started off better for me. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, no, absolutely. Cause again, like besides Doyle, you don't really know anything about these other guys. And again, I think that would have been the better pitch for this movie about, okay, here's, you know, group A, group B, group C, and it's a tighter, like, it's a tighter story. I really think this movie would have benefited from that. And I think, you know, that opening dialogue and then, yeah, getting to know what these guys, you know, have sacrificed or what these guys have lost. Um, you know, what did they go through to get to this point? Where are their families? Are they still alive? Are they dead? Um, you know, does Doyle you know, drop his post because he said, Hey, I had the kids in my site is he, uh, okay. You had, I don't know. You had a lot of people in your site and I like, I get it, but okay. You just don't shoot the kid, I guess, because you had no problem shooting what one, two, three, four, five, six people um, yeah. on screen before you abandon your post. So did you see this kid and did Doyle have a family and his kid got infected and is gone? Like that would have made this journey and this story a lot more relatable because there are relatable parts. But then again, it just, it chooses to place focus elsewhere on this. This family could be the cure, which again, like 
I don't care. I don't want to watch this. Like, honestly, I don't want to watch a zombie movie for somebody could have a cure. Like I, as because as they have two different colored eyes. Yeah. As <laughs> grotesque as it might sound at the end of the day, I want to watch a zombie movie to watch a zombie get its, you know, well, not in this case, cause you don't have to, but like a zombie get a headshot or a zombie eat somebody like an interesting kill, because that's what this movie is supposed to be. I, I don't need you to race across the city because yeah, because the kids got two different eyes and you know, different color contacts are all the rage. Like, I don't know. <laughs> so thinking back to what worked so well about the first movie, you know, thinking about the four people that share the taxi as they're, as they're traveling to try to get to safety, you care about each of those four characters and what happens to them. You know, you think about Frank and, and how important it is to him that his daughter be safe and that he can't jeopardize his own safety because then who will take care of her? And, and it works and it's effective. And, and all four of those characters, you truly care about what happens to them. They're interesting. They're compelling. Um, we don't get that here. And, and like I said earlier, it, it, take away half the budget of this movie would have been twice as good um, because we could have had a much tighter story that focused on things that um, really made us actually interested to see what happens next. Um, like, like we said earlier, there's so many good things that are that are actually happening. There are excellent scenes that really do make you feel something but that feeling is is basically just getting the rug pulled out from underneath it by by something that happens next that's just really really stupid um you know like like i said the movie does really suffer from a lack of likable characters but in terms of scenes that are really well done staying on that theme i want to talk about the scene where the four of them have to jump into the car because the chemical weapons are coming out and they're trying to stay safe in there. Holy cow. That scene is really, really well done. I, I love that. I, I thought the, the music crescendo was good there. Um, it, it just sets the tone again so well, like we've said over and over. Um, but just the terror in the kids' faces, they're looking to the adults to keep them safe because they don't know what's going on necessarily. They don't fully understand how to how to care for themselves in this. You know, there's there's no reason for them to know that. Um and, and then when Doyle makes the decision to push the car, um, yeah, you know, I I, I actually really did kind of care about like his death meant something at that point, even though it doesn't really make a lot of sense for members of the military to see another military operator and go, oh, let's torch him. Like, why? Yeah. Why did they do that? <laughs> like, I don't understand that. Like, oh, hey, he's with us. Like, he would have had a call sign that they would have exchanged with each other, that they would have known, yes, I'm not infected. I'm okay. They're like, oh, no, we're just torching everybody. Like, oh, yeah, hey, you look like you're one of us. Nope flamethrower you know like the the decision to then focus your fire on the innocent people too it's supposed to make you have a reaction to it and and i do have a reaction to it um it feels gratuitous though it feels i Matt, how do you feel about it? Because I'm struggling to, to put that into words like does it work for you does it make sense or is there something off and and because I'm just not I'm not coming up with how I want to phrase that. Yeah, it's okay. So it, it is definitely off because uh, here's my thoughts. You and I I want to go to this part to actually explain how like I kind of feel. So 
Kicking back to 28 Days Later really quick, because Rob, you talked about how when Tammy kills her father, Don, there should be emotion there. Like the viewer should feel something and you don't think about when Selena kills Mark. Yep. In the, in the first movie, there's something there. This should mean like that scene should mean more than the 28 days later scene, but it doesn't. And either does what we're talking about now, because again, it's the decision of it feels so personal when it shouldn't be because you're just a rage zombie. Like that's why some of these things don't work is because it feels personal. Yeah. Um, and, and it, you're hundred percent right. You know, when, when these characters in zombie fiction inevitably run into a loved one who has turned who has become infected, has become, you know, whatever you want to call it. Um, that's a trope that we see pretty regularly um, and that where they have to then make the decision to take that person out. I want to say the first one avoided that almost entirely, except for the scene that you're talking about. And, and she took him out before he had even turned because she knew it was inevitable and she was cold and she just did it. And that told us a lot about the character of Selena and the scene was impactful. She was, she was pissed at Killian Murphy's character and she was pissed at him about it, but they moved on. It just happened. And it gave us a lot about, about that character. Um, when, when Tammy takes out her dad, you know, he's been a rage zombie for like, you know, six or seven hours at least, you know, he was basically patient zero. Um, and he'd been raging all night. So he'd been turned for a while. Like, I, I don't know. Right. It, right. And, and just, I think the simple fact that the guy teleported all over town just made it even stupider. And it just, it pulls you out of the scene and any impact that they were trying to make just completely falls by the wayside. Well, also too, like you said, you know, eventually they run into a loved one or something like they're, they're rage zombies. They attack people at the drop of a dime, but you know, not this guy when he sees his kid at first, he stops and he, he he stares at his son like my dog looks at me when I'm going to grab the keys for my car. Like he stops, <laughs> he turns his head, he wonders what's going on. It's like, no, you see a human in front of you. You're a rage zombie. You want to tear him <laughs> apart. Like, I don't understand the quick, like the, the intercut to his wife. Yeah, it was right. weird. Yeah, like I just, I don't understand. And that's why it's just like, like what is this guy? Because he's supposed to be a rage zombie but he doesn't act like it. You know, when he, you know, goes to visit his wife and then he, out of nowhere, like he's turned, he starts punching her in the face, like instead of just biting her and like every other zombie does in this universe, like where does that come from? Like it just, it feels so weird. The decisions that they make with this guy once he's turned. Yeah, there's almost no consistency. There's no like, there, there's no list of rules for how this creature acts once it contracts the the infection. I will say that his transition, um, it is terrifying though. I mean, it is really, um, it's really something. Um, I don't know that 
in either of these films that we actually really saw somebody turn like all the way, like we saw the whole transition period. And it was that, that was something that was really well done. And then it does get a little bit weird where he he's punching her and and not just biting her. It, it seems very strange. It seems like the, the, the strikes and the attacks are really only to open up the ability to bite. Um, And then he does the thumbs in the eyes thing, which we saw in the last movie. Like we've already seen the double thumb through the eye thing in the previous movie. So like, uh, show me something different. And, and on top of that, make, make this make sense. Right. And I, I could understand the double thumbs through the eye in the last one. But again, like here, yes. it's, it's just like, why, like, why did you do that? And I, I don't know, maybe that sounds weird to like, maybe that sounds weird to listeners. Like we're questioning, like why you would stick your thumb through somebody's eyes as a rage zombie. But <laughs> again, it's, it's just the inconsistency in how he acts compared to every other person that's turned. A hundred percent. While we're kind of on that scene, it's, does it strike you as really bizarre how he just overtakes like there's no security cameras monitoring a high value patient like yeah cameras on other parts of this, they have no cameras monitoring her there's no guards no armed guards in front of her area like she's she's so important and that she's strapped down but nobody's right, guarding exactly. her and dude's car just lets him in everywhere now i get it he's like the superintendent of the building or whatever but like why does he get Every, into the military but, areas too? Yeah, everywhere. Like, <laughs> yeah, I feel like a civilian shouldn't have access to that. Like, it's really bizarre, and 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 like they clearly don't have a plan in place to contain a new outbreak. Like, just this whole scene stretches credulity in ways that don't make sense. Like, these guys have guns. They have guns. Right. They have lots of them. They're all carrying, and one guy overtakes the whole building overtakes the whole thing. He can, he can walk right in. Nobody catches it. Nobody pays him any attention. And somehow he gets out of that holding area. Like, how does he get out of that? Like who opened the door? Like, Hey guys, there's a raid zombie in here. You know what? Let's open the door for him. Let's see what he has to say. Like who, how that doesn't make any sense. And this is where certain parts of this were effective. Like I said, I liked aspects of his turn and then it just really does start to fall apart. Um, I I wanted more from that scene where before he turns, when he confronts her and, and tries to apologize, I wanted her to be more coherent. I wanted that to be a scene. I wanted there to be so when the kiss does happen, it's it's earned. You know, like mm-hmm. it it just right. it's it doesn't work. Like the this scene should have been rewritten. Like there's so many things that had they passed the script off to somebody else to punch it up a little bit, that could have been so much more impactful. Um, I just, I, it would have been much more terrifying if any of this stuff made sense, like how we got out, how we got in all of it. Um, It's, it it really actually drags for me into the next couple scenes that some of those actually do work really well, how poorly that whole you know, stretch of time is, is executed. Yeah, I I totally agree. And that's, that's, what's really so upsetting about this movie is there are, there's the bones for a really, really good movie here. There is definitely the potential and it's 
really, really odd because it's written by the same guy that wrote the first one. Yeah. And then, you know, you think about the next scene where they're all locked in that dark room. All the civilians are put together. That that should be a really terrifying scene. And and somehow Don just breaks into one of the doors. Like, how does that door open? Like, did he just hit the breaker bar and like the, the fire exit door just kind of like, oh, popped open. Like, and for them to not have placed any armed guards on the inside there just made no sense at all. And <clears throat> it it takes a scene that should be really terrifying. And it makes me go, why is any of this happening? Like I can't be terrified by the scene or terrified for the characters. Cause it's, it's stupid. There's so many things that don't make sense. Yeah. That's, that is the biggest takeaway from this movie is there's too many things that don't make sense to take away from things that do make sense. So, you know, Rob, we've gone back and forth. Um, you know, between kind of what works, what doesn't work. And that's, that's really how you watch the movie is one thing yeah. makes sense. Then the next thing doesn't, then something makes sense. Then there's a stretch where it's like, mm, okay. And that's really how you have to like, that's how we have to talk about this is, is jumping back and forth because that's the way you view this movie is your, your senses just jump back and forth between, Oh, okay. This is good. And then I'm like, Oh, well, this isn't good. Well, wait a minute. Wait, wait, wait. Uh, no, never mind. It's it, it's not good. It's like, oh, that should have been good, except you did that. And it's really kind of hard to pick just, hey, this really worked, this really worked, because immediately following that is something that doesn't work. Or a scene should work. It has every reason to work, except that it doesn't because there's just bad decision-making in some of the screenwriting elements. I, I don't, I mean, I, I definitely agree. Some of the shaky cam is a little bit off, but in terms of the actual filmmaking process, I don't have a lot of complaints about it. It's really the script. I think that, that makes this not work. It's not the acting. Um, I'm fine with the acting. I'm fine with the effects. Well, I'll talk about one that I'm not. Um, it's really the decisions that were made in the script. Um, for example, can we talk about the helicopter blade scene where the, the dude just kind of chops all the zombies apart with the helicopter blades? Because that's not really how those work. Like, you're much more likely <laughs> to go nose first into the ground or destroy the blades of your helicopter. Like, this isn't like, like a spinning death blade, okay? Like, these things are not made that way. Like, a person's head is a very hard substance, you know, a person's body, like he's hitting some of these people in the, in the shoulders. Like there's a lot of bone and a lot of mass to go through. You're just as likely to destroy the blades of your helicopter and then crash yourself or catch something funny that makes the whole thing pitch downward. Like that scene is so stupid. And not only is it stupid, the CG is atrocious in that scene. And it just kicks me right out of the experience. Yeah, the CG's really bad. Um, the other one too is again they you know they have a bigger budget and they're trying to go bigger. When they first start to douse the city, um, and some of those fire effects are not the greatest. Yeah, um, it's it makes sense what they're doing, but yeah, I. Um, I think that there's some things that it would have worked better if they didn't actually show it to us or if it was shown as a reflection through the window of somebody else 
and mm-hmm. we didn't necessarily see the explosion. We saw a person's reaction to looking at the explosion. Um, I think that would have been so much more impactful, you know, thinking about not necessarily the, the U.S. forces that are there, because to bomb a foreign city, even an allied foreign city that you're there to serve and to try to protect and help, you know, that that might have a little bit of an impact on you. I wanted to see the bombing of that city through the eyes of a person who that was their home. You know, maybe not right. necessarily their house got taken out, but that's their city. You know, like, you know, think about where we live, Matt. If if you were watching a movie, you know, and you saw some of the landmarks here in Buffalo get taken out, like that hasn't that would have an impact on you. Like if there was if you were in a movie and Buffalo is being taken out, even if your house and your neighborhood and the actual city that you live in uh, the, you know, outside of Buffalo wasn't, wasn't being taken out, but the, the heart of Buffalo, something happened to that, what you would have an impact on that as a character in a movie, like that would really affect you. And that's not what we got. Um, we got just some bad CG of, of planes flying over and releasing the napalm. Yeah. I think too, there's, you know, something to be said about the fact that, uh, again, there's, it's all like American soldiers who are there calling the shots, you know, doing everything. And if we would have had, again, maybe somebody who is in that decision room, that's just like, like, no, like you, like you can't bomb Britain. Like, no, absolutely not. Like, we'll, we'll or, cut this. Or maybe like, you can't shoot innocent people. How about yeah, that? Like, yeah. Like we'll cut this off. Like everybody is just, and again, like, okay, there's supposedly a protocol, but, Again, your your lockdown protocol is let's just shoot everybody. It's not, hey, maybe we take another six months before we're you know not even done burning bodies um, to start letting people back in and maybe build some concrete like walls that they can't scale. So if something happens, you get these people beyond this point and we're good. Or I don't know. But because that's how castles are built. Like those are and they have those in Britain. Like castles are built that way. Yeah. Like there's there's strategic lines of defense. There's different points that you fall back to. And and I mentioned this earlier when when Don, you know, turns into the zombie first of all and then somehow takes out the whole building. There's no containment protocol. Like nobody thought about, "Hey, what happens if somebody turns inside the building? What do we do?" Right. Like we there was no, "Okay, all the doors magnetically s- seal like if you're stuck with it, good luck, but we can't let the infection, you know, the infection escape. Like there was clearly no protocol put together that like the U S military would have definitely come up with. Like that's where it really stretches credulity in ways that pull you out of the movie. Um, and it's disappointing. Yeah, absolutely. So I don't have really anything else to, because the ending is kind of, you know, to me, the ending is just that it's the ending. I don't really feel like I don't feel really impact from the ending that they the two kids get to safety because, all right, really, what is their fate? And maybe if we would have gotten 28 months later, who knows? Maybe they would have been in it. Um, but this is one of those open endings that doesn't to me really work. Um, but that's really like the last thing I have to say about this movie. And in, in this segment for me is just, all right, it ends and there's a shot where, oh no, now they're in another city and there's another outbreak. 
but the like the true ending to this movie is just kind of like oh okay well they made it i i turned the movie off and tried to tried to assign actual words to how i feel about the ending of this movie and i'm kind of like you like it just it just ends like all of a sudden okay so they they cross the channel they get to france and they set down um it it kind of lo- like there's that weird note like with the helicopter where it says like for dad but th- you know they didn't end on really great terms with their dad like so i didn't understand that um and not even including the time that he was the rage zombie that had like the the homing missile right to them every time <laughs> um which yeah i mean so not even just counting that where they had to take their dad out um, but it just, that felt weird. It felt like maybe more of that would have been for their mom. I, and then all of a sudden we just see rage zombies going to the Eiffel tower. Um, I don't know the ending. It's, it's not a good ending or a bad ending. So I guess that makes it a bad ending. Um, I guess is how I'd have to, it's, it's finally the, the feeling that I can assign to it. Oh, you know what? One other thing. I, I do have one more thing because I feel like I either miss something completely or they just didn't think about this. So when they first start to like nuke the city, so to speak with, with fire, what is the shot of the picture of the mother and then the dad? Because the way to me that that was filmed, it looks like he should have been dead because he was with the picture. Like, I don't know if I missed something completely. So Rob, please like stop me and say, dude, you totally missed it. I didn't get that shot at all because it felt like they were in the exact same position and the picture gets set on fire. Um, I don't think you really missed anything. And I kind of like, I saw that. And this is another example of a time where this movie is trying to get you to feel something that it hasn't earned. And uh, I just, you know, I didn't really, like I saw it and went, oh, okay, yeah, the, the picture's burning. I actually felt a little bit more in terms of that napalming. I felt a little bit more, you know, seeing the mother's body that had already been mutilated and destroyed, just like seeing that, have the fire kind of come over it. You know, just that was, that had a little more impact to me just because of what she had gone through up to that point. Um but yeah, it just was another time where they tried to get a little too cute with tying everything together and making things connect when it just didn't make sense. And I just went, eh, okay, like it, it just kind of washed over me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So Rob, any final thoughts that you want to talk about with what did work and what didn't work for you? You know, the one other scene that I do want to talk about, we didn't get a chance to mention that actually really does work for me, at least, is the scene where uh, Scarlett and the kids are going through the pitch black tunnel and she has to use the night vision scope on the rifle to navigate them through and they Mm. can't see Mm -hmm. and they're terrified. Um, And all she has is just one tiny little, and by the way, you've only got like one lens that you can see through. So you don't even have depth perception, by the way. Um, (laughs) And this is not exactly an area she'd be familiar with. It's not like she's likely ever been there before. So, and it's covered in bodies, it's covered in debris and, and her trying to keep the kids calm. I actually really do like that scene. And I can't say that I've necessarily seen anything like that anywhere else. Um, I, th- I thought it was actually a pretty well-written scene. Um, I, I would have maybe liked about half the dialogue in it, but it, it actually worked really well for me. 
Yeah, you know what? I I actually forgot about that. Um, that is actually really well done. There's a nice element of like, okay, what's going to happen to this scene? That is that is actually really well done. I will totally agree with you on that. Yeah, there's a lot of dread there because you know something's coming. Um, although, like when when Don steals the rifle from her and then just uses it to punch her in the face, uh, that was a little weird again. But up to that, it was actually right, really terrifying. Right. Very tense. Yeah, no, exactly. But then again, it's like, ah, well, we did something good. We got to figure out a way to make it not so great. Yeah. Biggest thing really here, man, could this script have used a revision? Like give it to somebody, somebody completely different who's, who saw the first movie and then, and then give them this script, allow them the freedom to use a red pen on it and ask some questions and say, why, why is this in here? Why are we doing this? Or wouldn't it be better if this, um, because there are, I think you said it, Matt, you know, the bones of this movie are good. There are so many reasons why this should have succeeded. And yet I don't think I, I can't tell you the last time I've ever heard another person talk about this movie. No, I, I don't at all. I, I don't, when you talk about like, horror zombie zombie movies. I don't know a lot of people that talk about 28 weeks later. No, they talk about 28 days later because it's groundbreaking. It's original and it is incredibly well executed. Nobody says a peep about this movie. In fact, I'd be willing to bet that there's a lot of people that are subscribers to this channel or, or who maybe are scrolling through the channel looking for films that they've seen that they want to download and listen to a breakdown of. And they go, 28 weeks later? I don't even know if I knew that was that ever came out. Like, wow, when did that come out? Oh, Jeremy Renner's in this? Holy crap. How did I not know about this? Yeah, uh, absolutely. So it'll be interesting. You know, listeners will, I'll say this now, if you have seen this movie and you have a completely different take than Rob or myself, please uh, let us know right in, um, you know, comment on the social media pages with this and, and let us know what you think of 28 weeks later. So uh, I'd be really interested to hear um, from people out there that have seen this and maybe have a different view. Yeah, by all means. Um, you know, if uh, if somebody really thought this was better than the first, uh, tell us why. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, with that being said, Rob, let's let's go to the lobby here in our next segment. And this is it's kind of unfortunate because we talked about it a little bit, but there's not a lot here that I can say about a favorite scene because, you know, some of the scenes that should be your favorite in a zombie movie to me are hindered by the shaky cam. But I will say uh, a quick mention to the scene that we just talked about the subway scene, guiding the kids through with the scope and the night vision that worked really well. Um, I also to a, a degree, there's enough there in the beginning minus the shaky cam where the opening scene is really, really well done. And that'll actually be one of the things that we're doing here on Matt Goes to the Movies is if you don't want to watch this movie and maybe you just want to see the scenes that we're talking about we like, um, those will be posted in the show notes. But that opening montage, it, there's not enough of the shaky cam there to ruin it. That is a really, really good scene, like you mentioned earlier in this episode as well. <laughs> So that is uh, also my favorite scene, the opening, um, because it's it feels like the first movie. 
Um, it focuses on the survivors. It focuses on their trauma. It focuses on their inability to fully conceptualize what is happening to them and why and how and the hard choices and the, you know, the, the decision to retain your humanity or decide to choose something that's safer, you know, choose the safer bet or the humane thing when they let the kid in, like all of those moral complexities that we love about what we get with zombie thrillers. Uh, it's there and the music and the fast zombies. Um, it starts off really, really well. Um, and it's, it's sad that that's, you know, right out of the gate. Bang. I was, First scene, I was, it's good. And then it's not. Yep. I was just going to say, can we mention the fact that it's kind of sad that your favorite scene of the movie is the very first scene and there's still an hour and 35 minutes to go after that is over and done with. Um, Yeah, that's that's this movie in a nutshell. I mean, can you actually think of any other movie, Matt, that um, the first scene of the movie is your favorite? Can you think of anything else? No, and there's a lot of movies where the opening scene is really well done, but it's not my favorite because there's other things that come along that are better. Um, you know, think about the dark. Think about the Dark Knight and the opening bank heist. Fantastic yeah. scene. Oh yeah, like by no way, like shape or form, is that my favorite scene of the movie but it's a great scene, but here it's five minutes into it. And you've already seen again, at least for us, um, you know, listeners, if you have a different opinion, again, share it Um, five minutes in and you have the best scene of the entire movie. Yeah. And I'm thinking back to other segments that we've done on other shows, just trying to think if there has been a time where the opening scene I've, I've said has been my favorite. And I'm pretty sure I said that about the big Lebowski just because I really enjoy the opening scene, but it's not like there aren't other scenes you could make the case for later. And I don't know that I could make the case for another scene in this movie um, I, I like the night vision scope scene, but it's, you know, it's kind of short and then it falls apart right after that. Um, you know, it, it doesn't bleed into something else very well. Um, so yeah, that's, <laughs> I, I can't think of anything else that, that is like that. Yeah. Um, I will say for my least favorite scene, it is any time after he has turned that Don is on screen. Once he has turned, I don't have realistically any care for him whatsoever in this movie. So anytime he appears, I'm completely tuned out. Uh, I'm going to kind of be a little more specific, uh, but I'm going to agree completely with what you said from I, I mentioned earlier. I really enjoy watching how the actor portrays the rage virus taking over the body and how that, how that happens. But from the moment that he is fully enraged, um, that becomes my least favorite scene. You know, just like I said, the, the, like, why does he punch her? Um, that's just, it's dumb. And then how does he get out and how does he infect everybody? And how is there absolutely no containment protocol whatsoever? And how do all of these people with guns, uh, somehow forget that they're carrying them? Um, it's, it's such a logic stretch that I think with better writing 
could have you could have found ways to still do all of the same things but have it make sense and have a person sitting there going oh i see that i believe that um it didn't have to be bad and i think that's the most frustrating thing about this movie it didn't have to be bad yeah i i, I don't know how else to say it um <laughs> Because, yeah, it, it didn't. Again, the, the structure is there. Rob, you remember? So this movie, I'm going to make a quick analogy and a callback to an episode that we were a part of with our good friend Harrison. On the very first Fast and Furious movie, when Brian brings Dom the car and he says... I, I told you to bring me a 10 second car, not a 10 minute car. And he's like, oh, no faith. Look under the hood. And they pop the hood and they're like, oh, well, th- like the framework here is good. Like we can work with this. Like that's this movie. Like that scene from Fast and the Furious, that <laughs> description of the car is this movie. Yeah. Um, I, I think they needed a little more than just a bit of NOS though. But yes, they, right. um, <laughs> they're... I mean, the zombies seem to be full of it. Um, yeah, there's. It, if it focused on the right things, if if it took a minute to actually ask questions, does this make sense? And when when the answer isn't a resounding yes, you stop, you rewrite it, you figure out a way to make it in universe make sense, and it doesn't take much. And that's that's like I said, you're you watch something and you go, hey, wait a second. Why is this happening? You completely stop enjoying the movie because your brain is rejecting what it sees on screen. And it makes it so challenging to enjoy what it is you're seeing and to continue that that suspension of disbelief that is required for visual entertainment like live theater, like film to be enjoyable. You have to be, you have to be a willing participant in the movie. And when you stop being able to suspend that disbelief, when you're reminded that you're watching a movie and you can't just throw popcorn in your face and enjoy it, it, it really hampers um, the satisfaction from that piece of entertainment. Yeah. It certainly sums up this movie very, very well. And speaking of summing up this movie, That's going to bring us to the rating system here at Matt Goes to the Movies, where we rate this movie out of five reels. And Rob, I'm going to go first. Maybe I'm, I don't know. I'm curious now to see what you say. Maybe this is going to be a generous rating. Maybe it's not. Uh, I give this two and a half reels uh, on our system here. Again, a, a good a good framework to work with, but ultimately what they put inside of that frame, you know, is its demise. Um, Let me ask you a question. If this, if 28 days later didn't exist and this movie just came out because it has no real connection to the first film, there's no crossover characters. I don't know that you even necessarily needed to have seen the first movie. uh, I don't think this one, I don't think you do. Yeah. Um, would anybody even remember that this film existed? I mean, I already said earlier, I don't think a lot of people even really know this does. Is there any chance that you and I are sitting here recording an episode on this movie if the first one didn't exist? If we're just judging this movie on its own merits, does it even does it even get greenlit? Is this a straight to DVD release? Like, does this even get like, is this a $5 Walmart bargain bin on Black Friday kind of movie? 
Like, is this a straight to Tubi or Voodoo kind of release if it if it isn't part of 28 Days Later? I I kind of wonder if it if it even gets a theatrical release. Yeah, I think that's a really you know great question, and my review isn't even based on the fact of it's the sequel to 28 days later. I'm treating this as a standalone movie and how I feel about it. Um, granted it's not as good, but my whole rating comes from the fact of the decisions that they make with this. If this was a standalone movie and 28 days later didn't exist, this would still be a a two and a half for me. So I don't know this, this probably would be straight to DVD. Um, maybe it lasted, you know, uh, yeah, it probably would have been a straight to DVD release. And it's very unlikely that you and I are talking about it. And and that's why, you know, you said two and a half. I'm right in that neighborhood. I'm actually two and a quarter. Um, I, I wanted this movie to be good. I wanted so badly for this movie to be good because I wanted 28 months later to happen. I wanted that to be, I wanted this to be a franchise the way that, horror films just become that way. I mean, I don't know that necessarily anybody saw the saw movies becoming like 37 movies and Chucky and Friday the 13th all have like 157 movies each. You know, they just keep churning these things out every year. I wanted 28 days later to become that. And I wanted there to be 28 months later. And then I don't know if you want to do 28 years later or not, but you know, maybe something else. I wanted this to be a TV show. I really, I wanted this to be a game. I wanted this to be so many things. And ultimately the, you know, this one just really let me down. Uh, so I'm giving it two and a quarter reels. And and that is maybe even being a little generous. You know, I think maybe I'm being generous like you are because there are so many things that do work. I can recognize the structure that should have worked, but just completely falls apart in, in some of the the screenwriting. Yeah, and I think that at the end of the day, that's why my rating is so low is because it makes me more disappointed that it turned out the way it did when, you know, you can kind of, if this is the correct way to say it, you can like, you can see the forest through the trees here where this movie could be and maybe, you know, you let somebody take a second look at this script and you say, hey, take this home and, you know, let me know. G- give me your honest feedback and, and let me see where you're at here with this. And, well, I don't think, you know, this and this works. Why don't we focus on here? Oh, great point. Let's do some, you know, let's do some changes. And I, I think that's why my score does become so low is because I can just, I can see how good of a movie this could have been with some really small tweaks it, it, they're not huge tweaks they're they're small tweaks to stay in the same you know the same ballpark where your characters remain your focus which is what worked so well about the first one um and it it almost feels like they kind of forgot that a little bit yeah yeah absolutely so you know again both not favorable towards this movie but um one thing that Rob, I'd like you to talk about, because I have uh, a couple things that I, I have to let listeners know about that's pretty exciting about Matt Goes to the Movies, but we do still have a couple of movies planned here. And one that I know I'm super anticipating because unless something changed, you know, 
something changed between the last time I watched it and now. I'm really excited for the other movies that we're going to be talking about. Um, why don't you let us know what we're going to be still bringing out? Yeah, so of course October it's a it's a great time to check out some of your favorite scary movies. So that's why we selected Twenty Eight Days Later, Twenty Eight Weeks Later, <clears throat> and then we're going to jump into um, the Zack Snyder zombie films. We're going to check out Dawn of the Dead, the remake, uh, which is I, correct me if I'm wrong. Is that his first like major studio directorial uh, 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 credit? Am I right about that? Is that his first big big film? I think that you're you're right. Like that's up there that's really really close yeah so if it's not his first it's it's really close to the beginning of his career uh and we've covered a few of his other films on on this channel <laughs> to varying degrees of likability um so it'll be fun i haven't seen this in a long time so uh it's currently not streaming anywhere that i found so uh listeners if you want to uh watch along with us uh, you're going to have to either you know rent it on wherever you rent your your films from uh you know buy it on DVD or Blu-ray or whatever the case is. Cause it's not currently, you know, included in any streaming packages that I was able to locate. Uh, I actually have this film on DVD. I think I picked it up like when blockbuster was doing like a sell off of, of some stuff back in the day. Uh, so we're doing that one. And then uh, we're going to check out Zack Snyder's most recent release army of the dead, which is currently streaming on Netflix. So again, listeners, if you want to kind of watch along with us, uh, it's available on Netflix and uh, it's going to be fun to talk about that one. Both of them really. Yeah, um, Snyder's a guy we've covered um, fr- <laughs> frequently uh, on this show, and it goes from absolutely, I don't understand what's going on, to I'm in love with the man um, <laughs> when it came to Zack Snyder's Justice League, which is still a absolute marvel to me that that movie, one, saw the light of day, and two, just is as good as it was. Um based on some of his previous work. It, it's really a, a modern mystery to me that that movie um, <laughs> exists in the way that it does. Thinking about Zack Snyder's Justice League, not to hijack this this to another topic, but is that the most peculiar movie in the history of film? Just like you said, the fact that even it exists, that the studio was willing to do what it did, give him the money to finish it, that they actually did reshoots, it aired on a streaming service, it absolutely blew away the original version and has been a, you know, the, the restore the Snyder verse hashtag is, is trending all the time. And to the point where you actually think the studio has to consider it. I mean, is it the oddest thing, the most bizarre thing that you can think of in all of cinema? Yeah, because it's, it's absolutely like, tearing up like blu-ray and 4k charts so not only can you stream it on hbo max which people did they're buying copies of it restore the Snyderverse is still a thing and if all of the rumors are correct you have dwayne johnson who's going to play black adam campaigning that he wants his character to interact with Zack snyder's justice league characters and nobody else and you know, listeners, if you're listening to this show, I'm sure you know who Dwayne Johnson is. I don't know. Name <laughs> a more name a more popular, powerful person in Hollywood. And I can't imagine if this guy wants Zack Snyder's like universe restored. I can't imagine he doesn't get his way. For him to I mean, the DCEU is kind of a mess. We've covered that. 
um, for them to be able to salvage something and make it viable for the future, um, having the rock on your side and a vocal supporter of what you're trying to do, um, that would help, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the guy is, I mean, two years in a row, highest paid actor in Hollywood, has, you know, the number one, you know, brand new energy drink in the country. Everything he touches turns to gold. I mean, look what he did to turn around the the Fast and the Furious franchise when he came into that. Um, Who's a bigger movie star than The Rock right now? Nobody. A- absolutely I, I nobody. I, I mean, I don't know who. Yeah, no, he he absolutely turns every like every project that he is attached to makes money. Like there's no yeah. doubt about it. So, that'll be interesting to see if he gets that, but you know, that'll be cool to revisit um a couple of Zack Snyder movies that I remember very positively. Uh, you know, especially Army of the Dead because that's that's fairly new. Uh it'll be cool to see it again though because it's you know, it since it first came out, I have not had the chance to see it again. So I'll be interested to jump back into it, um, especially with all of the uh, the fan theories that are on for Army of the Dead. I'll be interested to watch it back with some of that stuff in mind about maybe potentially where that could go if he does get to do another one. I'll be interested to maybe plug some of that stuff in during my viewing. I'm positive there's going to be a second one. Yeah, it it did really well streaming. So hopefully we do get a second one. But um, Rob, anything with the extended universe? Um, I know with your busy schedule, especially now, there's a lot going on, um, you know, in your life. (laughs) To say the least. (laughs) Um, But anything on the horizon with that? Because those episodes have been super popular. Yeah, they're, they're a lot of fun. So my, my brother Eric and I uh, enjoy breaking down some of the films that have really had the long-lasting impact uh, on a certainly 28 Days Later could have been one of the ones that we would have selected because it's something that we both you know love. Um, you know, one of the other things that Eric's done since he enjoys talking about music and film so much is he he's curated some Spotify playlists. So for the four films that we've had a chance to review, each one has its own Spotify playlist. Uh, you can search for them just under MGTTM EPU. And then there's four different versions uh, of playlists that are available based on the films we've seen. And it's not just the music from the film. He, he's kept to each one to about an hour. Uh, it's, it's music from the film, but then also other songs that uh, if you like those songs, you'll like those too. So he, he's added a few in that are uh, from that time period, from those artists, similar feel, um, just, you know, Really, really a lot of fun. Uh, I keep listening to the one. Uh, there's one called Eleanor. That's all the music, the the best stuff from the uh, Gone in 60 Seconds film and some other stuff that would have been big and popular around that same time with that same sort of feel. I've been listening to it almost nonstop and it's it's they're all jams. So I definitely recommend checking those out as well. Uh, we have just started discussing what we want to talk about next. And I think we've got to narrow down to two. So uh, going to be pretty excited to uh, finally make a decision on that and uh, bring you the next episode of the extended podcast universe. Very cool. I know I'll look forward to that. And again, the those episodes have been super popular. So I'm sure listeners are. And one last thing that I want to leave listeners with for Matt goes to the movies. Uh, first and foremost, you know, thank you so much for listening Rob, you know, echoes those statements for his episodes as well. But one really cool thing that we're actually able to do here uh, for the first time ever is we are giving away uh, 
buy free copies of G.I. Joe. Well, sorry, Snake Eyes G.I. Joe Origins on Blu-ray, which is super cool. Um, and I wouldn't have been able to do that without Map360 Collective, who is sponsoring that. So, listeners, what you're going to need to do is you can go on to podchaser.com, search Matt Goes to the Movies, and leave a review for the show as a whole or any individual episode. And that is any type of review you want to leave. It doesn't have to be five stars. If you like an episode and that's how you feel, you want to rate it, that's awesome. If there's an episode that you don't particularly agree with or you know want to leave feedback on that one, that's fine. All it takes is you reviewing the show to get entered to win one of five free copies on Blu-ray for Snake Eyes G.I. Joe Origins. It is out now on Blu-ray in 4K Ultra HD. When you do buy any copy of Snake Eyes, you get thrilling special features, bonus short film, deleted scenes, and much more available at participating retailers rated PG-13. But again, review any episode of Matt Goes to the Movies and get entered to win a free copy on Blu-ray. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, Matt and Rob have been happy to have you with us again.